Hello and welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. My name is Julian Carl, CEO of Synergen Group and very pleased to bring uh, a slightly different thing to you today. So originally this idea started off as it going to be a single episode around the nine relationship groups. As I was recording though, we realized it was going to be a rather long single episode. So what we've done is actually split it into two episodes. So the nine relationship groups is an idea that I've been working on for a while now, and I've broken it down into two sections, uh, your internal relationships and your external relationships. So in this episode, part one, we're really going to explore a, a series of questions around depth of relationships in regards to five internal relationship groups. And then in next week's episode, we'll explore the external. So happy listening. And again, would love to hear what you think. Uh, feel free to leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Happy listening. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Well, here we are again for another content episode of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. In today's episode, I really wanted to give you a framework and a model for thinking about relationships. And this is really built on the, the fundamental premise that relationships are a key to your success as a leader. And I think that it's important to really start to think about what are the quality of your relationships like and what's the depth and breadth of your relationships and importantly what can you do to start to develop those relationships and really make big inroads in terms of uh, your leadership. So the way this episode structured is going to be uh, divided into two sections. And the first section is going to be all about your internal relationships. For the purposes of this framework, we've distilled that down to these five key areas in terms of inside your business. The first is the relationship you have with your team. Second is the relationship you have with your manager. The third is the relationship you have with your peers. The fourth is the relationship you have with your organization. And the fifth and probably most important one from an internal perspective is the relationship you have with yourself. Then in the second part of this framework is your external relationships. So the first external relationship we're going to explore will be your customers. The second one will be your suppliers. Third one will be your competitors. And the fourth one will be your industry. And I think the way I'm going to frame this episode is really start to pose a few questions to you around each of the, the nine relationship groups and just give a little bit of a, a, a few thoughts about why each one of these questions is, is so important. So let's get into it, shall we? So if you look at our first relationship group, which is really the relationship you have with your team. I think that if you really want to get the most out of your team, the more you know about them, the more you can influence them in an ethical and, and, and positive way, and you can really start to tailor your leadership to suit them. So the way I've structured this is that there's essentially 15 questions for each of the nine relationship groups, which I'll go through, and it will allow you to really check in and, and do a bit of, a, I suppose, an audit 
on what the depth of your relationship is like. And what we'll find traditionally when we run these type of activities is that there will be different people that you have uh, different depths of relationship with, which is perfectly natural, perfectly normal. Now that could be based on a number of things such as how long you've worked or known with that person. It could be you know, how alike you are. People tend to gravitate towards people like themselves and a whole range of contributing factors if you have uh, shared interests. All these type of things really add to your depth of relationship and the more you can build it, the better off you'll be. So let's, let's look at question number one. And I really want you to think about what do you know about the work background of those in your team? Now, the reason this is important, there might be untapped skills that you can leverage. There might be experiences which you can really draw from. And what it does is start to give you a bit of an idea of their experience in terms of the organizations they've worked for, the industries they've worked in. And this may or may not shape the way that you start to interact with that person. For example, if you know someone's come from a very heavy uh, unionized background, that's going to be very different to someone who's never experienced that type of environment and has been completely white collar. Second thing I'd like you to, to understand is what, what, what is possible to know about their closest family connections. So I know some leaders take the, take the view that you know work is work and personal life is personal life. And, and, and that's okay. I think though, if, if you've got that sort of base level understanding of you know who the key people are in their lives, all it does is, is give, it, give it a niceness to the relationship that you can talk about their partner by using their partner's name as opposed to just, oh, you know, how's your partner going? So little things like that really do start to build the relationship. And, and I'll leave it up to you to think about how deep you wanna go. I jokingly say in some of my trainings that you should not only know their, their, their partners, but their kids, their dogs, their cats, you know, all those sort of things. I'm going to leave it up to you to think about how deep you want to go in, in that relationship. Third thing I'd like you to think about is what are their hobbies and passions? What are they really interested in? What really uh, floats their boat? You know, is it is it... Is it something that, is it sport? Is it, what is it that really floats their boat? The fourth question I'd like you to think about is what motivates them? What are they really interested in? Are they motivated by career? Are they motivated by money? Are they motivated by that feeling of success? Are they motivated by a sense of well-being and giving? And are they motivated by reward? So there's a whole range of reasons why people are motivated. Don't Please don't fall into the trap of always thinking it's about money because study after study after study has shown that money is not necessarily number one on people's list in terms of what motivates them. So really, uh, just try to start to think about, are you clear about what motivates each and every one of the people in your team? I'd also like you to think about the importance of knowing what their skills are. The way business is going right now is that more and more is being expected of leaders and leaders are not necessarily getting more resources to do more they're expected to do more with what they have so I'd really like you to think about what skills can you draw on what skills do they have and what this does is allow you to also think about where do you need to develop their skill set next question I'd like you to think about knowing is 
are you really clear about what their strengths are? What are they really good at? Now the reason this is important is because there's a line of thought that if you focus on people's strengths and you turn them into experts and specialists in that particular area, they are going to perform and play a very valuable role within your team. Personally, I subscribe to that idea. I need to understand what people's weaknesses are too so that I can think about how to mitigate them and, and make sure they don't impact the business in a negative way. But I think it's very important to, to focus on people's strengths. You can't be good at everything, so why try to get everyone in your team to be good at everything? Find out what the strengths are and work out how that plays out in your team environment and really start to build that strength capability. And following on from that, obviously, we need you to know what the, the, their weaknesses are. What, so this, in other words, this is about what are they not so good at. Now, sometimes people find this a challenge, acknowledging what they're not so good at, and whether that's coming from a place of lack of self-confidence or self-esteem, that could play a part of it, or the, the relationship they have with their manager with you. So I think you do, do be careful about how you go through this, and it could be about being observation, it could be about asking them what they think, and it's really just you know harnessing what they're good at, acknowledging maybe what they're not so good at, and making that work within the team structure that you have. The next thing I'd like you to think about knowing about the people in your team is what's their level of ambition. So where do they want to go? Do they want your job? Do they want to? Do they want your manager's job? How far do they want to go in the organisation, and what are they prepared to do for it? So the idea that people will just get somewhere without putting in hard work is, is personally, I believe, is a fallacy. It's a myth. Uh, we need to, if you ever want to get somewhere, you need to work at it. So if you've got someone who's highly ambitious and wants to, to get somewhere, well, as a leader, that enables you to tap into that and provide them with opportunities to prove what they can do and what they're capable of. And it allows you to give them projects or give them you know, special activities to undertake which can really, they see, will really help them on their way to achieving whatever their level of ambition is. It is all right if everyone is not super ambitious in your team. Personally, I, I like being surrounded by people that are ambitious, but I've come to realise over, over my uh, journey as a leader that it's also really important to have people that are quite happy doing tasks at, at various levels in the organisation. They don't have to have this high level of ambition. So... Understand what it is and work out how that plays a role in, in your team. Next thing I'd like you to consider is where can you develop them? So this comes directly off understanding their level of ambition. So do you need to give them training in a particular area? Do you need to give them experience in a particular area? What do you need to do to develop them? This is really about building capability it's really about making sure that you are focused on creating the best team you possibly can. And the only way you'll do that is if you invest in them. Next question I'd like you to think about in terms of your team is understanding their commitment to the organization. So people have uh, employment contracts with the companies that they work for. But they also have what's called either an emotional contract or in some cases a, a psychological contract. And this one is actually far more important than the employment contract. See, people can get paid really well and have really good conditions and have a really good career path, 
But if they feel that there's a lack of trust, if they feel that the organisation has, has done harm by them, well, then highly likely they're not going to stay. And I think that's one of the, the things that we need to recognise is that the organisation has a commitment to its employees to treat them well and do all those sort of things. So understanding what their commitment to the organisation is, very, very important. Next thing I'd like you to think about in terms of your team is how do they like to receive information? Now, this is something which I think many leaders struggle with because they're not prepared to adapt. So some people in your team are going to want things visually. Some people are going to want to sit down and talk through things. Some people are going to want to physically do activities and learn that way. Some, some people want to watch videos. Some people want to look at diagrams. Some people need time to process. Some people make decisions very quickly. The list goes on and on and on. And it's this, this idea that as leaders, we need to be able to adapt and understand how people like information. Some people like more data. Some people don't. Some people like real high level stuff. Some people freak out if they don't have enough information at hand to make a decision. So really take the time to think about how does your team like to receive their information and then you know, turn that lens on yourself and ask yourself that question, are you adapting to the way they like to receive their information? Next thing I'd like you to ask yourself in terms of your relationship with your team is how well have you set expectations? And this is a this is a big one that comes up time and time again in the trainings that I run, is that expectations are not clear. So what do you want them to do? How do you want them to do it? By when do you want them to do it? And I think this is a this is a problem that we face in business a lot, is that the different layers of leadership often expectations get lost, and if those expectations are there, sometimes they're not necessarily aligned to the broader corporate strategic goals anyway. So I think being really, really clear about what's expected of people is crucial to the quality of relationship that you're going to have with those in your team. Next thing I'd like you to think about in terms of your team is how well do you provide feedback? So feedback is one of the things which every leader will acknowledge is important. But what I find is that many, many, many leaders don't actually receive the feedback. They generally receive feedback when something's gone wrong. They don't normally receive feedback when something's gone right. So I'm a big believer that you give feedback as much as possible, whether it be whether someone's done something right, whether it's someone's done something wrong. Give that feedback. Give it in the way that they need it. And for some people that's written, some people that's spoken, some people that's one-on-one, -on -one, some situations it's group, all sorts of different ways of giving feedback. I think as a leader, you need that flexibility in how you can give feedback dependent on the person in your team. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you know the people on your team and know them really well and have a depth of relationship. The next thing I'd like you to think about in terms of your team is do you know how they like to be rewarded? So for some people, it's financial. Generally, a lot of people like their you know, short-term incentive bonuses or their commission payments or whatever it may be, and everyone likes to you know, get a little bit of money here and there. I think it goes a bit deeper than that. I think that people like to be rewarded through recognition. I think that people like to be rewarded through publicity in some cases. Some people like that group recognition. And I think it's really just understanding what, what, reward, what reward do they want are you prepared to give it? Can you give it? 
some businesses can give financial rewards, some people can't. And it's, again, if you don't know how they like to be rewarded, how are you going to reward them in the way that they want to be? So again, question to ask yourself. The final question I'd like you to ask yourself in terms of your team is, how are you fostering positive relationships between the people in your team? So you've got a responsibility to build a relationship with the people in your team between you and them, of course. I think the leader's role is also to foster positive relationships between team members. Now this can become very, very, very important when you have people that have, are working closely on projects together or in confined areas or have to do specific tasks together. If there's any sort of animosity or any sort of ill feeling or the relationship's not at the level it needs to be between them, there's no way known that that task, that project is going to be completed to its full potential. So I'd like you to think about how do, how do you go about fostering relationships between team members. So now we move on to the, the second section of these internal relationships, which is really about the relationship with your manager. And again, I've got a, a series of questions I'd like you to consider in terms of what's the quality of relationship like with your manager. So like first of all, I'd like you to think about what do you know about your manager's work background? So are you across their experiences? Have you, uh, are you clear in terms of what they've done, who they've worked for, the industries they've come from? And a reason I think this is important, again, it gives you a sense of who they are and what their experiences are and what they're going to bring to the relationship with you. So ask yourself, what do you know about them? And generally these days, it's pretty easy to find in terms of utilizing you know, platforms like LinkedIn. That's always a, a very easy way of just you know checking out what they've done and, and who they've worked with. And, and these days, most professionals tend to be on LinkedIn. So second thing I'd like you to know is, you know, who are the relevant, you know, family connections for your manager? Again, it follows on from similar type question I asked in the in the first section with your team. Who are their partners, kids, all those sort of things? And again, it just lends itself to that idea that you can, during the conversation, you can say, you know, hey, how's it going? How's so-and-so going? Instead of your partner just showing that little bit of care and just taking on board the idea that you want to just learn a little bit more about them, great way to start to build the relationship. I think the third thing I'd like you to think about in terms of your manager is do you know what their career objectives are? Do you know what they're trying to get to? So if you do, what this enables you to do is actually support them in getting there. There's nothing wrong with supporting your manager so they can get to where they want to get to and in return they may support you so you can get where you want to get to. In some cases that might be their job. Understanding what their career objectives are very very important because they will feel a sense of alignment with you. They will feel as though that you're working together and all that all you need to do is find out what their career objectives are. Next thing I'd like you to think about in terms of your relationship with your manager is what do they excel at? What are they very, very good at? Is it the way they communicate? Is it the way that they can influence? Is it their technical knowledge? Is it their ability to deal with pressure? Is it their ability to make really well-informed, intelligent decisions? What do they excel at? 
And following on from that, I'd like you to think about what are they not so good at. We can't be good at everything. I said it earlier. Don't need to be good at everything. So if you can start to understand what they're not so good at, you might be able to work out a way where you can support them in filling that gap. It might be that you fill that gap. If you're really, really strong in something that maybe they're not so strong in. So again, it starts to become more of a partnership rather than the hierarchical relationship that managers generally is. I'd also like you to think about how they prefer to communicate. So this is one of the things where, even though I always encourage leaders to adapt, so when you're looking down I and you're working with your team, I expect you to adapt with your team. When you're working with your manager, I expect you to adapt to your manager as well. So it's adapting every which way. So by understanding how they like to communicate, you're going to be able to hit the mark. I'll give you an example. If your manager is the sort of person that really just likes high-level bullet point and overview type information, and you go and give them a 50-page report, I'm pretty much guaranteeing you that they won't read it. That's not how they communicate. That's not how they want their information given to them. Distill your 50-page report into one page, bullet points, graphs, whatever it may be, and you'll be hitting the mark. You'll be communicating in a way that they want to communicate. So you will get, as you start to build the relationship with your manager, you will start to really start to pick up all of these things. I'd also like you to think about knowing what pressures they are faced with. So what pressures on them? Are they getting pressure from the senior executive team or whoever it may be to hit a certain milestone, meet a certain KPI? If you're reporting to the CEO, is he getting pressure from the board? What pressures are they really faced with? The reason this will support you in building the relationship is what it allows you to, again, be the support if you can be. It allows you to have a better understanding about why they may be putting pressure on you in terms of you meeting their, their KPIs. So you really start to think about what are the pressures that they're faced with. This ties in quite nicely to the next one, which is really, do you understand what their KPIs are? So what are they actually being measured against? Now, I, I once read about a business, and I've never come across it personally, but I once read about a business where they structured their, their KPIs so that every single person's KPIs in the business were made visible to everyone in the business. So the CEO's KPIs were there on the wall, the general manager's KPIs were there on the wall, and all the different leaders' KPIs were there on the wall. And they would honestly and effectively report back and show people how they were going against their KPIs. Now that's probably an extreme version. I've never seen it done in practice in, in, with the organisations I've worked for. But I think if you can get a bit of a sense of what your manager's KPIs are, Again, you're going to be able to support them in achieving them and allowing you to feel that sense of alignment with your manager. One of the things I'm particularly keen on you understanding in your relationship with your manager is are there specific models or frameworks that they use? Now, this is very, very important because it allows you to create a very clear sense of alignment and allows you to be working from the same page for example 
earlier in our podcast season, we did an episode on Cotter's eight steps of change. If you've got a manager who is a, is a big fan of that and uses that, and you're wanting to implement a change with your team or something like that, and you go to them and say, this is what I want to do, and this is how I'm planning to do it using you know, Cotter's eight steps of change. Chances are, because you're using the same models that make sense to them, and because they're obviously a big believer in those models, chances are you're going to get a lot more support. Whereas if you just go there and say, you know, this is what I'm going to do, it's not really going to make sense to them. They're not really going to think that you've given them the depth and breadth of thought and consideration that's probably needed. So if you can get a sense of what frameworks and models they use, and it's very simple, it's just a, it's just a question. Start to ask when you can. I mean, I ask it in all the podcast interviews that I do with the various leaders, you know, are there any specific models or frameworks that they use? Some say yes, some say no, some say there's so many. But generally, in some shape or form, we all have a particular way of doing things or viewing things. So ask them the question. Next thing I'd like you to think about is, are you the sort of person that provides solutions to your manager or are you the sort of person that provides problems? So this is really about your level of self-reflection. People that come to a manager and say, here's the problem, and then walk away, generally not necessarily respected by that manager. Suddenly you're trying to transfer the problem from you to them. So I always encourage leaders to go to their manager and say, this is the problem, this is what we've discovered, this is what we've come across, and then this is what I'm planning to do about it. So it's the solution. And it allows them to make a very quick decision. Do they like the solution? Do they support the solution? Yes, no, maybe. Do they want to tweak it? Have they got a different view? Either way, you're positioning yourself in the right way because you're coming from this idea of focusing on solutions. And I think that's really uh, a valuable part of, of being a leader is being solutions focused. Another thing I'd like you to think about is are you actively trying to create a sense of alignment with your manager? And this could be things such as using the words we. Very, very simple. Together. These type of words start to build that sense of alignment. And if you tie these into some of the things we've already spoken about, you know, understanding what their KPIs are, understanding what frameworks, models they use, how they like to communicate, you know, where they're trying to go, all those type of things, you start tying all of these together and you're starting to create a real sense of alignment with them. Only you know what sort of alignment you're creating with your manager. So I really want you to, to take the time and think about it. I think it's also following on from uh, a section in uh, the first part about uh, your team is this idea to be very, very clear about what your manager expects from you. What does your manager want you to deliver? What results are you expected to deliver? Now, this is going to vary from uh, leader to leader, manager to manager, workplace to workplace. If you don't know what your manager expects from them, how are you doing any of the things above, such as creating a sense of alignment or using the same models and frameworks? If you have the type of manager that isn't the sort of manager to come and you say, hey, this is what I'm expecting from you, and have a sit down about it, drive that situation. I'm always a big believer in having quarterly conversations as much as possible within the operational constraints that you may face. Have those chats. Make sure that you're clear about what they expect from you. And then you can take away and you can start to work towards those expectations. 
think it's also important for you to think about how you can support them. Is there anything else that you can do? So I'm not expecting you to necessarily be an emotional support for them. I'm expecting you to be at least thinking about what sort of support can you provide. And this could be as simple as being an advocate for an idea that they're proposing or for a change that they're proposing. It's really about building that quality of relationship and, and that sense that within the broader team, you are a management team. And the last thing I'd like you to think about in terms of your manager is how do they handle conflict? Are they the sort of person that shies away from it? Are they the sort of person that meets it head on? Are they the sort of person that uh, really needs to follow a process? How do they like to handle conflict? And the reason this is important to know is this allows you to think about how you can handle conflict in alignment with them. So when people in your team, there's conflict there, how do they handle it? Or in the worst case scenario, you have conflict with your manager. How's it going to go? So that's what I'd like you to be thinking about in terms of your manager. So now we move on to uh, the third section of these internal relationships. And this is one that I often come across when I'm training multiple people in the same organization, which is really about the quality of relationship they have with their peers. And so when I, mean, when I say peers, I mean people that are either in uh, the same role the same role, but uh, there's multiple people in the same role because of the, uh, the, the way the business and the organisation is structured. It could be people that are in different departments. So really starting to think about, you know, the people around you, they tend to be at the same level as you. So the first thing I'd like you to think about is, do you have a sense of the, the personality style of your peers? So this really gets to the heart of taking the time to try to understand them, taking the time to really think about how they approach things. How do their brains work? How do they handle things? You know, all those sort of things. And the reason this is important is because if, if you're fundamentally different in terms of personality style, that tends to potentially, if you're not aware of it and if you're not doing things to actively manage it, can lead to conflict. So I just really like you to think about embracing the differences, understanding where people are coming from and potentially why they come from where they come from. Second thing I'd like you to think about, and it's, and it's been a constant through the, the first couple that we've spoken about in terms of your team and your manager, is family connections. I think it's important to touch on that again for the same reasons. You know, it, it builds that sense of alignment, it builds that sense of trust, it builds that sense of community, it builds that sense of tribe. And just simply by being able to use use family names, it's a far better relationship than you not knowing. And similar to what, what I spoke about in terms of your team is hobbies and passions. What do they like to do? What do they, what do, they do on their weekends? What do they do after work? What, what, what really excites them? What are their passions? Now, it's quite interesting that when I often uh, ask this question when I, at the start of training courses, often people will say, their hobbies and passions or whatever their kids are doing because kids tend to take over. So if, if that's what it is, that's what it is. And you can, again, you can use that as part of building a solid relationship with your peers. And you know, maybe say, oh, you know, how, how did the little ones, you know, sports game go on the weekend, whatever it may be. Hobbies and passions, important to know. 
I also, again, like you to think about shared interests. I was doing some work uh, recently with a business and they, one of the people in the room was talking about the fact that uh, he likes cycling and there was were people in other parts of the business that also liked cycling and they were planning to do a bit of a ride together. Now, for me, great idea. Not only are they getting exercise and getting out and about and doing all those good things, but they're doing something that they all enjoy doing. And by doing it together, they're building that sense of team. They're building that depth of relationship. So if you can find whatever people's shared interests are, and then you think, oh, yeah, I'm into that too, you're in a much better position to build that depth of relationship. I'd also like you to think about how they communicate. Are they the sort of person that's going to write a really long email? Are they the sort of person that's you know always talking? Are they the sort of person that's always you know the life of the party? So how they communicate is important because it allows you to adapt to them again. And the common theme here is adapting. Their career experience is also something I'd like you to think about. You know, again, this gives you some insight into where they've come from, why they may be the way they are. We tend to generally be conditioned by our experiences during our employment history. So if you've got someone that's come from a very strict way of operating in a role, highly likely that they will bring that with them. If you've got someone that's very flexible and free in a particular role, highly likely they may bring that with them. And again, their, their, their length of experience in certain roles will indicate, will give you insight into why they do things the way they do. Career aspirations are something, again, I'd like you to re, re-look at with your peers. Is there a way you can support each other working through that? I'd also like you to think about their strengths. What are they good at? And this is where the idea of peers being complementary, I think, is, is important to, to, to look at. Because you might find that if you've got a group of peers in doing the same role, that there are opportunities for you to leverage off each other's strengths. You know, someone might be really good at the communication, someone might be really good at the technical expertise, someone might be really good at the planning side of things. And what this does is this allows you to work far more effectively as a team, as a unit. One of the most frustrating things that I've ever experienced as a trainer was when I was doing work with a business and there were multi, many, many sites from that business and there's one site in particular where they had five shift leaders and the, the, the shift managers were all very different. They'd all been through my program, so theoretically they should have all been aligned in that they were given the same content in the same way and we explored the challenges of the differences and the diversity and the importance of that Yet they made a conscious decision just to ignore some of the things that we, we thought would be useful. And the conflict that existed in that team was personally quite frustrating. And I think what it, what it showed is that the team hadn't spent any time really looking to build relationships with their peers and taking the time to understand them. So obviously following on from strengths is, you know, what are, what are your peers not so good at? You know, we, we, we need to always look at you know, where we can supporting people in the areas they're not so good at. And the reason they might not be so good at it is they might be new to a role, new to an industry. And if you're able to teach them, train them, and start to really, you know, support them through that, well, that really lends a depth of quality to the relationship. I'd also like you to think about 
the importance of trust with your peers. Trust in peers is 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 something which I think is is vital, and I think it's vital for a couple of reasons. I think first of all, if you've got a group of supervisors, managers, whatever, who report to a particular leader, there's a there's a bond within that group. What you don't want is someone on the outside. You want that group bonding well. That way they can deal with issues as a group as opposed to individuals. But if they don't trust each other, if they don't think each other has got their back, then that group will never perform, never perform to their full potential. And so the trust needs to underlay everything. I think it's also important to understand what's the relationship like between your peers and the leadership. So you might both report to the same leader. What's the quality of their relationship like with the leader? And this is important to think about in terms of alignment, making sure that everyone's aligned, making sure that the paths of communication are where they need to be. It's about making sure that any conflict is dealt with, it's about, you know, ill feeling, any of those sort of things. These can cause havoc to a team. So what I really want to encourage you to think about What's their relationship like with a leader? And if they have a different relationship to the leader that you do, I think personally, I think it's worth thinking why. Is it because you're putting the effort in? Is it because you're more like the leader? Understanding what's going on around you. I think one of the things which I've come to realize during my leadership journey is this idea of politics in leadership and the, and the, and the, and the dynamics that move and shake within, within teams. And I think where you get a good sense of what's going on within the team and you know who's who and how they interact and how they relate is useful because it allows you to think about how you want to operate within that team. I'd also like you to think about how aligned are you with your peers? Are you achieving the same or looking to achieve the same goals? Do you view things the same way? Are there fundamental differences between you? And I think the reason that this is important is that you might be going left and your peer is going right. And again, that's not to the benefit of the overall team. So just ask yourself, how aligned are you? I'd also like you to think about what are their views on management. The reason I think this is worth exploring is that peer groups can change in terms of their attitudes. So if you've got, you know, and we'll stick with the number five, five, five people in a peer group, five managers doing a particular role, rotating through. If you've got one out of that five that has a very toxic view of management or very poor relationship with management, well, that one person can start to impact the other four and they can start to influence. And it could be that they influence in a negative way. So that one person not agreeing with management turns into two or three, or it could be that they end up isolating themselves and being seen as the one that's always complaining. Either way, I think that both of those scenarios don't lend themselves to this idea of really performing at your peak as a team. So I'd like you to think about, you know, what are your peers, managers' views on management? Again, I'm going to ask you to think about, are you clear about any models or frameworks they like? If they use something which you know, which you like or you use or you subscribe to, it just builds that nice sense of, you know, we're doing this together and it's recognition that you appreciate what they're knowing and what they've brought to the table. 
So I think by understanding that, and again, it's a simple question. And the final thing I'd like you to think about with your peers is this idea of how do they manage change? How do they handle change? Are they change advocates? Are they people that actively resist it? If you've got people in your peer group that are actively resisting change, it's going to make it harder for you being an advocate of change or potentially being an advocate of change to really get to where you need to get to. And it also provides you with a level of insight because it allows you to re recognise that someone, okay, they're being resistant to change. I'd like you to think about why. I'd like you to go a little bit deeper and understand why. That's the third uh, section of internal relationships, peers. So moving on, uh, the fourth section in terms of your internal relationships is a relationship you have with your organisation. And so again, going to give you a number of questions that I'd like you to consider in terms of your, your relationship with your, your organisation. The first one is, uh, how aware of you of the public perception of the company that you work for? The reason I think this is important is that people always like to work for a company that's well-renowned, that has a high level of brand awareness or that has, has good vibes coming to it from the broader business community. I don't think anyone really likes to work for an organisation which is considered uh, shady or shonky or, or anything like that. And I think you know, you're seeing a little bit of that happening at the moment with some of the Royal Commission into the banking is that the, the banking and financial services industry at the moment is taking a bit of a, a bit of a beating. And I think that you know, the public perception of some of the banks isn't really strong at the moment. So I'd like you to think about that to start with. I'd also like you to think about what do you know about the history of the company that you work for. The reason I think this is important is, again, is it frames and gives you some ideas in terms of why things may be done the way that they're being done. You know, are there particular legacy issues that you need to be aware of? Are there, have there been uh, issues during the, the history of the, the company that you can, if you're aware of them, that, that you can use to support you in making better decisions. So just taking the time to try to get a, a sense of, of who the company is. Third thing I'd like you to think about is, is who are the key stakeholders. So this is very much going to change depending on the type of uh, organisation that you work for. So in some cases it might be a very large organisation that has a board, there's uh, very distinct shareholders attached to it, whether it be publicly listed or privately listed, might be privately owned, might be owners, might be founders, who are the senior people, who are the, who are the key people in terms of decision making, who are the key people in terms of depth of experience and length of service. So who are these people internally who are the, 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 the key stakeholders? These are the people that it's worth having what I call hallway conversations with to really just start to build that depth of relationship. Fourth thing I'd like you to think about in terms of your relationship with your organisation is what is the strategic direction of your organisation? Where do they want to go? What do they want to achieve? What are they trying to achieve? And importantly, how are they going to do that? The reason I think this is important is it allows you to get on board. It allows you to align yourself to, to where it is that the company is going and it allows you to buy into it. And I saw this firsthand earlier this week when I did a, a podcast interview with someone and 
couple of times during the interview, it really came through that they were buying into the, the vision and the goal that the organisation had set. They're very ambitious, which suited this person uh, particularly. And it just really reemphasised to me the importance of you know having your leaders part of and buying into where the business is going. I'd like you to think about that. Next thing I'd like to consider is how aware are you of the organisational values and how aligned are you to those organisational values? So during my time, I've done a lot of work with businesses around organisational values and how you filter them down so that they become part of the, the operating system of a business. And it's a real challenge. Many times values stay on walls or as corporate mission statements and all of those type of things. They never really filter down to the, to the broader workforce. So I'd really like you to think about, are you taking those values? Are you leading those values? Are you trying to embed those values in your team? Next thing I'd like you to consider is, what's the position of your organisation in the marketplace? So you work in a, a business which operates within an industry and potentially in a category as well. Where do they fit in that? Are they number one? Are they number two? Are they number 29? Is it a highly competitive industry? Is it not? Is it you know dominated by a couple of key players? So all these sorts of things about where you're positioned in the market. And I think this allows you to consider, are you comfortable with that? Some people are very, very clear about wanting to work for particular types of organisations. Some people are very happy working for large organisations. Some people really want to work for small organisations. So just understanding your position in the marketplace just uh, allows you to, to really make sure that this is the right business for you. I'd also like you to consider what are some of the competitive threats that exist. So this may come from uh, rival organisations. This might come from industry changes or industry regulators. I felt that uh, earlier this week, actually, when we got a, an email from our industry regulator saying that they are changing one of the rules which is going to directly apply to us and potentially impact us. So competitive threats come from all different uh, places. So I'd like you just to think about, you know, what are they, what might they be, and, and how comfortable do you feel with those? I'd like you to also consider what challenges exist within the company. So does the company have a challenge in terms of sales? Does the company have a challenge in terms of you know, customer relations? Does a company have a challenge in terms of you know, governance or risk or anything like that? What are those company challenges that exist? As soon as you start adding in uh, things like uh, different sites, different time zones, different countries. Any level of complexity really starts to impact an, an organization's ability to maintain itself at the level that it wants to be maintained at. So what are the challenges that your company faces? I'd also like you to think about the succession planning that exists in your workplace. So what might be available for you, what might be available for people in your team, and really just starting to look at you know, how that works, get a good sense of it, and work out whether or not you want to be a part of it. Is this the organisation that you want a career in? Are you using your organisation as a stepping stone? So really getting a good sense of that succession planning will enable you to really think about you know, what is your relationship like with the business. I'd also like you to think about career opportunities that may exist in the business. 
for me this is this is something that's really important because for the people that have a high level of ambition being able to provide them with a high level of opportunity is going to be important if you can't well then there's going to be challenges people won't feel stimulated people may leave so what are the what are the career opportunities that exist for you I'd also like you to think about their systems and processes. So are there particular models that they use? Uh, is there particular software systems? All those type of things. What, what, what processes exist? Reward and recognition programs is another one I'd like you to consider. And this is one where I think that by understanding this, you can then use this to filter down to your team as well. You can start to reward your team in a much more positive way. If you're making or taking advantage of any reward and recognition programs that exist and if one doesn't exist there's nothing stopping you from looking at what might you be able to implement for your team i'm also lucky to think about any regulators or oversight bodies of course we all have to operate with you know asic and a triple c if you're listening in australia that is they're sort of our government regulatory bodies but there's also a whole range of regulatory bodies which exist in Australia and, and worldwide and it's really about are there any things that you need to be aware of are there any changes which they may make which are going to impact your organization so again it's just that that depth of knowledge that depth of understanding that depth of seeing what the lay of the land really is I think will really uh, support you in building a deep relationship with your organization Employee benefits is something I'd like you to, to, to think about. You know, what employee benefits exist for you with your with your organization. And again, this is probably going to vary depending on the size of the organization. Uh, a couple of companies I've worked for in the past have had very, very good employee benefit situations where people got discounts on all sorts of things or access to different things and it did. So again, it's going to be very varied, but I'd like you to think about, you know, are you across it all? I'd also like you to think about the, the geographic footprint. The reason I think this is important is it ties into one of the things I spoke about earlier, which is career, career ambition and succession planning, is if you've got a good understanding of the, the geographical footprint of uh, your organisation, it, you know, it might provide an opportunity for you. If you're someone that's prepared to move interstate, if you're prepared to move internationally, I think that you know just having that good sense of, of what the geographic footprint's like just allows you to think about where might you want to go and potentially highlights opportunities which you, you may not have initially thought of. So I'd really like you to, to think about geographic footprint. So they're the, they're the 15 questions I'd like you to think about in terms of your relationship with your organisation. So now we move on to the fifth section of the internal relationships and this is probably the one which I think a lot of leaders may not necessarily give the depth of thought to that I think they should and it's the relationship you have with yourself. And so I've got, a, I've got a, again a, a series of questions I'd like you to consider as we go through this and I would like to start with how clear are you on your personal values? So one of the things that I've noticed more and more as I've been doing these podcast interviews is that, and I'd say particularly with some of the more senior leaders that I've had to been fortunate enough to interview, is that their personal values are very much driving 
the types of organisations that they're going to and the types of uh, roles that they're looking at. And I think, you know, being clear about what your values are and factoring those in to any decision you make about where you work and, and what roles you take on, I think is, is vital. So I'd like you to think about, you know, not just being clear on your values, but, you know, maybe writing them down, maybe just looking at them, thinking about them, maybe just making sure that they reflect who you are as a person, who you are as a leader. And, you know, I don't also don't think there's anything wrong with your values changing as you go through your leadership journey, because we know that as people we change and develop and grow, you know, it's very different being 21 to 45, as an example, in terms of age, there's a lot of differences. So I'd like you to think about your own set of personal values. And I'd like you to think about this, about your personal beliefs. We are all conditioned by our experiences, whether that's from our parents, our families, our close friends, uh, the places we've worked, the places we've visited, the places we've been. And I think as a result of that, we've all got our personal beliefs on things. And I think it's important to hold true to your personal beliefs and understand why you have them. If you look at all the horrible things going on in the world at the moment, generally you you can attribute it all to the fact that there's two sides, each who are very, very clear that their way is right and another way is wrong. And I think that's a reflection of what people believe and they're those people's ability to, to articulate that and convince other people that they should also have those personal beliefs. So beliefs are, are, are vital in, in really understanding ourselves and, and why we do things the way we do them and, and, and how we go about our leadership. So I'd like you to take take some time, if you can, and really just think about, you know, what do you believe about leadership? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about business? What do you believe about, you know, all those sort of things. Third thing I'd like you to think about is the importance of holding yourself accountable to what your personal standards are. So what's okay in your book? You know, what standards do you want to set for yourself? And what standards do you want to set for your team? I think that the more you... uh, clear about your standards, the more likely it is that you are able to share those standards and and bring others to your standards. And one of the things that anyone who's been through my training programs will know is that one of the, the flip charts that I often draw is the idea of raise your standard. So whatever your personal standards are, I'll, I'd like you to think about what can you do to raise it. I'd also like you to consider importance of understanding what your leadership purpose is. Why are you actually in a leadership role? So one of the things that generally happens is that people are very good in the technical area. You know, they might be very, very good at, you know, engineering or they might be very good at sales or whatever it might be. And because they do really well in that, they often get tapped on the shoulder and get moved into a leadership role, management role. Standard story is that they they don't get any training and as a result, they don't necessarily do as well as they they could have. But I think it also gets to the point about what's your leadership purpose. So if I reflect back on my very first leadership role, I had no leadership purpose. I was just doing the role to the best of my ability, trying to, you know, build relationships, all the rest of it, but there was no overarching purpose. There was no, nothing guiding me along the way. If I think about now in my, my business and you know the role that I used to have as, as GM of, an, of another training company, that one in particular was really clear to me 
that I had a very strong leadership purpose, which was to not only turn the business around, but it was also to provide leadership and to be the sort of leader that I wanted to be and to also really test myself against the role because I'd never been in that type of, of leadership role before. So I was really clear about what I was trying to do and what I, on, on reflection, I think that my time there didn't actually feel in some ways like work because the purpose was overriding it. The purpose was setting my, my standard. So I'd really like you to think about what, what your leadership purpose is. I'd also like you to think about what your leadership identity is. And this is where we start to look at, you know, who do you want to be as a leader? So it starts with all the obvious things, you know, the, the way you dress, the way you speak, the way you look, the way you talk, all of those things. That, that's, that's just the, the outside stuff. What, what's deeper than that is what sort of leader do you want to be? And quite often I'll ask people, you know, what, what traits best describe you? And they'll say, you know, fair, I'm firm, I'm compassionate, I'm, I'm empathetic, whatever it may be. If, if those types of things really resonate with you, well, then you can, they start to form the shape of your identity as a leader. I think if you reflect back on the, the various leaders that you've worked with, you'll probably recognize that some of them have, all, or many of them have had different identities as leaders. They've gone about leadership in a different way. Nothing wrong with crafting your leadership identity because we don't come into leadership necessarily knowing everything there is to know about leadership. And I believe that there's always more to learn and there's always more room for growth. So we can continue to craft and shape our leadership identity based on our experiences, based on the industries that we've worked in, based on the things we've seen and experienced. So I would like you to consider, can you articulate what your leadership identity is? And, and you know, are you deliberately trying to craft a particular leadership identity that reflects who you want to be? Something else I'd like you to think about is this idea of uh, recognizing your secret self. So there's a quote that is floating around the, the, the Google world and uh, it's called the, the, the Japanese Three Faces. And if you go and try to research it, no one can actually say who it's attributed to. And <laughs> so that's why it's sort of, I'm not sure where it's come from, but it's, a, it's the idea which I really like. And the, the first uh, face that you have is the face that you show the general public. The second face that you have is the... A face you show to your close family and friends. And the third face you have is your secret face, or in other words, your secret self. That's the face you never show anyone. And I'd like you to consider that you all have this. I'd like you to consider that there's all things that you don't share with anyone or that you keep secret for yourself, or, and it's all those thoughts which, for whatever reason, you don't necessarily feel comfortable sharing with, with someone. And I'd like you to know there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly normal. We all have those. I think where there's, there's power in that is just understanding it and recognizing that that's what's going on. There's some things which are for you and you only. And I think if you can understand yourself at that level of depth, that can only enhance your leadership. That can only create you or turn you into a better leader if you've got that really good understanding of self. Like you'd also consider your ego as a leader. And ego is a funny thing because it exists. We all want to win. We all want to be the best. But some people are, are very good at recognizing when ego is getting in their way. 
when they're they're so focused on something that they're not prepared to listen to anyone else and because they and because they have this need to be right so we all have a certain level of ego so i'd just like you to you know take a moment and think about is it getting in your way as a leader are you stubborn that you're not prepared to listen to other people because you adamantly believe you're right are you not prepared to listen to a different perspective so one of the advantages i believe that face-to-face learning has in terms of leadership and management training is that you get to hear different perspectives you get to hear different viewpoints you get to hear insights from other people around the room who may be in the same role or may have been in your shoes if you allow yourself to be open-minded and just listen not necessarily agree with but just listen I think what you'll find is that uh, you'll be in a much better position not to let your ego get in the way of you being the most successful leader you can be. Next two things I'd like you to think about are your strengths and weaknesses. This has been a common theme because, again, I think we all have strengths as leaders and we all have weaknesses as leaders. Things that we're really good at, things that we're maybe not so good at. And if you can focus on being the best leader you can be, if you can focus on your strengths, it's going to set you apart. Rather than this idea of being a generalist, I'd like you to be a specialist in whatever area it is for you. For some people it's their ability to build relationships, other people it's technical, other people it's communication, other people it's about strategy, other people it's about planning. So many different aspects where I think you could really focus in on your strengths and really make that a cornerstone of your leadership. And again, when it comes to your weaknesses, you know, what are the things which you're not so good at? What are the things which you, know, you need to mitigate? Because you, you do need to take the, the broader view on this. And there's nothing wrong with owning it. Sometimes I find that people struggle with the idea that they can't be great at everything. So acknowledge what you're good at, acknowledge what you're not so good at, and move on. I'd like you to be clear about where you want to go with your career, because I think that does impact the way you go about your leadership. And I'm going to think back to someone I, I, I came in contact with very early on in my leadership career. And he was very, he was my manager, and he was very, very clear with his career that he wanted to get to the new facility that was being built. And as a result of that, he determined that the best way for him to get to uh, where he wanted to get to was to make sure that the three supervisors, who I was one of, who reported to him, uh, that they weren't competition for him in any roles over at the new facility. And so the, the relationship didn't end well because this person started to get the reputation of being a snake. He started to try to play me off against uh, my counterparts. And so it, the three of us were, were very, very tight in recognising what was going on. And when I think back about it, it didn't work for him because he didn't get the role in the facility. It didn't work for him because he ended up damaging the relationship with his, his team of three supervisors and it just didn't work. So I think it's a lesson for me in that, you know, it's good to be very, very clear about your career. What it does is encourage you, I encourage you to go about it the right way. And there's that old saying, always be careful how you treat people as you climb up the ladder because you never know when you'll be passing them on the way back down. So I would like you to be clear about your career and think about you know, what's the best way for you to go about there, go about achieving that. And I believe that you don't need to treat people poorly 
if you really want to get somewhere. I'd like you to also think about what your emotional triggers are. So what are the things which, which can trigger you into a feeling of anxiety or panic or anything like that? Some, some leaders, it's conflict. They tend to avoid it at all costs. They just really don't want to deal with it. Some people, it's pressure. They can only handle a certain amount of pressure. So what are the, what are the triggers that you have? And again, you'll only be able to uncover these if you take the time to actually try to uncover them. And following on from that, it's this, I also like you to explore this idea of the emotional stresses, the things which cause you great amount of stress, things which, if you don't deal with them, they're only going to fester. So this idea of triggers and stresses, I think, is overlooked in leadership. It is part of some of the emotional intelligence framework of, of, of thinking in, in terms of leadership and understanding ourselves. So what are those triggers and stresses that you may have? I'd also like you to think about being clear about who inspires you and understanding why. I think that you know inspiration comes in many ways. Some people it comes from their their, their parents, some people it comes from the, the, their managers, some people it comes from their peers, some people it, it can come from anywhere. And I think that by understanding why someone inspires you, it just gives you that greater greater understanding about yourself, that greater sense of self because you can draw on your in, points of inspiration and you can discover more about yourself by realising why someone's inspiring to you. You know, if you look at all the you know, the really populist people that name is inspiration, one is you know Richard Branson, Virgin. He's got books. He's got all of those things, and people really use him as a as a way of uh, inspiration. But that's not right for everyone. Richard Branson doesn't inspire me whatsoever. He's not someone I look to. He's not someone that I that I think highly of. There's for me, there's other people. So it's really about finding people that inspire you and understanding why. I'd also like you to think about having a method for your mental management. When I say mental management, you'll, you'll notice that there's a, a starting to be a shift in, in business and leadership about mental well-being. And one of the things which I believe is, is important is for you to, to recognize that and to, to work out how to best manage your, your mental health. And so for some people, it's doing yoga. For some people, it's doing Pilates. For some people, it's going to the gym. For some people, it's boxing. For some people, it's going for a run. Whatever it is, going for a hike. It's spending time with family. It's doing sport. It's playing with the kids. It's walking the dog. It's listening to music. Whatever it is, I'd like you to think about do you have actual method for it? Because the pressures of leadership uh, are there and... They're, they're, they're not going away. In many cases, they're probably going to get harder and there's probably going to be more expected from you and there's going to be more pressure on you. Change is coming at a very rapid pace across all industry sectors. So I think it's good for you to consider you know, how you just manage your mental well-being. And then there's this, this final thing I'd like you to think about in terms of your relationship to yourself is the idea of committing to the idea of continuous learning. So I was doing a podcast interview yesterday and, and the person I was interviewing was talking about the idea that as, as leaders get more senior, they, they tend to make less time for learning in any sort of formal environment. 
and by formal I mean going to some sort of workshop or program or anything like that they tend to learn from the experiences that they're having or from the situations that they're dealing with in their workplace and I think that the, he may be onto something in the fact that sometimes we get caught in the idea that we're learning from experience and that's great but that experience has a certain perspective to it I think the idea of continuous learning is deliberately trying to put yourself in different situations so that you can continue your learning, your growth as a leader. And whether it's doing a workshop or whether it's doing uh, a MOOC, you know, going onto any of the, the online platforms and doing a short course, whether it's, you know, going off to the US and doing a, you know, doing something at Harvard Business School or whether it's anything like that listening to podcasts, all those sort of things. This idea of continuous learning I think is important because I think what it will do is really allow you to, to be the best leader that you can be. And so there we have it. That's the first section of the nine relationship groups. And, and what I've, what I've realised is that I've been recording for over an hour now, so I think what I'm actually going to do is split this idea into two podcasts uh, I just think it would be a bit easier listening I've given you a lot to think about so again I would love for you to send through an email to me if you'd like to know more about some of these questions that I'm asking you to consider in terms of building deeper relationships julian at synergygroup.com.au or you can hit me up via message on LinkedIn I'm you know I'm very easy to find on on LinkedIn and what I'll do is also record the second part of this part two which is all about your external relationships uh, that we spoke about earlier so I hope you enjoyed the episode love to hear what you think well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.